Welcome to On Water, the Session Magazine podcast. Here we talk to water athletes, entrepreneurs, scientists, and earth-friendly folks about the experience of a life well-lived connected to water. I'm your host, Evelyn O'Doherty. Let's dive in. Justin Furnell is an international explorer and cultural detective. In June of 2018, he was listed as the number three most adventurous person in the world right now by Men's Journal. He is co-founder of the History, Arts, and Science Action Network, a nonprofit organization that focuses on relic repatriation, historic justice, and documenting vanishing cultures. Fernell is currently the host of Unexplained and Unexplored, an exploration series that solves mysteries using both ancient maps and cutting-edge technology. The program has been airing on the Discovery Channel and the Science Channel since 2019. Fernell is an SATWF Lowell Thomas Award-winning writer who has written extensively for National Geographic, Vice, The Explorer's Journal, Parts Unknown, and Roads and Kingdoms. In 2016, he tracked down the lost skull of African-American enslaved rebellion leader Nat Turner and repatriated it to the Turner descendants. The relic has been missing since 1831. Fernell is an extreme open water swimmer and has completed the largest continuous Arctic swim on record, where he swam from Canada to Greenland across the Narrows Strait. Justin, it's so great to have you here in the studio with us. Thank you for coming. Thank you, Evelyn. It's great to be here. Yeah, welcome. And we are here today as a part of Sea Change Sessions up in Burlington, Vermont, in Social Action Summit, just seeking solutions to some of our world's most pressing issues. It was an amazing experience this morning to do a cold water plunge with Justin, who is an endurance cold water swimmer. So, Justin, can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing up here at Sea Chain Sessions? Sure. No, it's it's great to be here. And I was uh, called upon to host a kind of a fun activation for folks right in the water here at Lake Champlain, right outside of the Hulu Center, and wanted to combine a few things that I really love. I spend a lot of my time giving kind of interactive academic lectures. For example, I give a lecture called The History of Tea in 12 Cups. And during that lecture, attendees are invited to taste each of these teas. But at the same time, I know they wanted to do something involving cold water. So I said, wow, why don't we combine one of these lectures with a cold water plunge? So we created an experience called sensory underload as opposed to sensory overload. And each of our participants was sitting in a uh, ice water filled tub right on the water and had a small, almost like a... uh, like what you'd have if you had breakfast in bed, a bit of a plank of, of beautiful reclaimed wood with a cup on it. During my, my five-minute lecture, my five- to ten-minute lecture, because as you can understand, everyone is in mid-plunge while I'm attempting to deliver them with heavy amounts of historic information, uh, we taste three sacred beverages, and everyone is also invited to smell three ceremonial resins. 
And so you're going through and you're tasting these different teas. You're smelling uh, this frankincense and myrrh combination. You're smelling this copal. And you're tasting uh, a warm kava from Tonga. You're tasting uh, what is, is called yaupanhali, which is, is the key ingredient in a Native American beverage called the black drink. And then finally, we finish off with a, a nice, toasty, warm, smoky Lapsang Suchung tea, which is a smoked tea. And then so as we're going through these, I'm giving a brief history, some tasting notes, but also just tuning in to see what folks might take away from it because they're in this different surrounding. We're so our, our senses are so affected by our surrounding. If we eat a piece of cheesecake in a warm room on a couch, it's going to be a different experience than we, if we eat it in an abandoned building. So I think that was the design of it, was to kind of play with our senses a little bit and give us a few different experiences all at once. Just to give a little bit of background here, it is March, and we are in Burlington, Vermont, and the water that Justin speaks of is on Lake Champlain, right here on the Hula campus. And the participants, self-included, were asked to step into a galvanized tub filled with ice water that we actually broke with an axe, right, before we got in. And the temperature gauge on the galvanized tubs was at what, what was the temperature? Uh, between 33 and 34. It was, it was freaking cold, right? And it's, yeah, it's right at freezing, absolutely. First, Justin gave us a little bit of safety protocol, what we were about to do. And as we stepped into the tub, we were asked to submerse ourselves. And in front of us on that uh, wooden plank across the tub was a pile of snow on which the teacup, which was made out of... It's a hikara. A hikara is very much like a gourd. It's a fruit from uh, mainly from Oaxaca, Mexico. We usually it's used to hold mezcal. Uh, but it's like a little small gourd cup that fits perfectly in the palm of your hand. It was beautiful. It was beautiful. And as we submerged ourselves, you can imagine the six participants, we were super focused on just not running screaming from the scene. Justin began his lecture. The question is, was that part distraction? <laughs> that was the idea. No, and I think a lot of people are doing cold water plunges. And there's a lot of obviously wonderful benefits. And, and I really like to take the chest pounding bravado out of it and really make it into almost a non-issue. And I think that as someone who's had a lot of experience in the cold water, that's a lot of the ways I'm able to enjoy it and, and stay in as long as I do because it just eventually becomes a non-issue. And it's not about running and screaming and I'm doing this, I'm gonna, you know. It's more of just like, okay, I'm just gonna slide into this strange liquid that I'm not even gonna imagine is water. Maybe I'm thinking it's ink or it's some kind of, making it, I'm sliding into a different dimension and that's not always gonna be comfortable, but it's not gonna be an issue. So if I'm instantly giving you information and flavors, I'm hoping that those things are kind of distracting you from the, oh my God, I'm in cold water, I gotta get out. My body's saying, get out, get out. And next thing you know, Two minutes have passed, three minutes have passed. Around four-minute mark, I find that that's when the body goes numb and that's when you can actually enjoy it. Mm. You know, you want to get mm -hmm. to the – I find you want that switch to happen. It's like a almost like a big power switch that goes over from the pain into – you know, I wouldn't necessarily call it the pleasure, but I'd call it the indifference of mm -hmm. like when you get to a certain level in, in cold water training, once that switch goes on, it's no different than being in a warm pool in the Bahamas. It's the same feeling and, you know, it won't last forever. Eventually you're going to get hypothermia and you're going to need to get somewhere warm. But there is a crossover point and there's this beautiful grace period when you could just start swimming and jumping around and having a good old time. 
and you don't feel it at all. You feel really comfortable. Alive. Yeah. That's what we and all And you said. feel alive, we of course. Yeah, alive. good. Well, that's yeah. great to hear. And it was so beautiful to have this ceremonial teas served to us and those resins, which I believe you said were some of the resins burned for particular deities. Very and much so, yeah. So making the whole experience really a sacred experience. It was really quite something. We're all happy to have survived. (laughs) (laughs) It'll be happening again tomorrow for anyone who wants to come back. It's great. It's great. And so, Justin, how does that fit in here with sea change sessions? Like, how do you see that as part of this overall picture that we're developing? Sure. Well, one interesting point is that the original design of it was meant to be on the frozen Lake Champlain. And Lake Champlain did not freeze solid. I came up here a month ago to kind of scout the area. And my plan was that we'd have a frozen lake and we'd cut holes in it. Everyone would have their own ice hole to hang out in, their own little personal bar. So because it didn't freeze and because it was not warm, but because it was warmer, we had to adapt to that situation. And, and I think that that is part of kind of what Sea Change is all about is observing our surroundings and observing our environment and adapting to that and bracing for what's next. Certainly from everyone I've met here, it's just so many really fascinating folks with, with big ideas. And to do something that that's much of an experience with just in a five to 10 minute time, I think is kind of what some folks are here to be part of. I completely agree. I, I think a lot of the people here at Sea Change Sessions are here to lean into something difficult, to have difficult, challenging conversations about social issues, to help forge solutions with one another. And so it makes so much sense that the ice bath would be an introduction to the day, right? If yeah. you can lean into this and instantly bond with six people you've never met before, then the rest of the conference is going to be a cakewalk. Yeah. And and what I found unique is that certain people took different things away. And I think that's always going to be the case with any experiences. One or two people said, I I was watching you talk, but I couldn't hear a thing you were saying. I was just so, they felt as if they were absorbing the information. Right. And some people were like, I really tasted the tea. The tea, it was so beautiful, the Mm -hmm. taste. And these were fairly, I mean, aside from the lapsing chung chung, they're, you know, it's not like these are sweet, luscious, rich latte flavors. Mm-hmm. These are just kind of bitter, classic Tucson experiences. So it was interesting that they were heightened. You know, they were heightened because of the situation. It was something to kind of run to and cradle and be like, oh, my God, it tastes so wonderful. Right. You know, like water after being in the desert. And you're like, oh, my God, water, I never knew water could taste this good. I guess I really am dehydrated. So wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for that. That was so wonderful. So, Justin, you are always up to something. Uh, I mean, the last time I saw you was at the Explorers Club, right, celebrating a fellow explorer, and your expeditions seem to be rolling forward one after another. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're currently up to? Sure. Well, funny, now that you mentioned it, I didn't even think of this, but this Saturday night at the Explorers Club, we are uh, premiering a world premiere screening of our new film, The Mescalarians which was funded by a wonderful mezcal company called Sentir. And it was four expeditions we went to make this documentary about vanishing cultural traditions in Oaxaca. You know, the last great blacksmith who was making these curved machetes used for cutting down agave to make mezcal. It's the last snail dyers on our planet who are still going out into the waters of Huatulco to gather small snails to squeeze out the day to make the, you know, mm. the world's first purple. No snails are injured in the making of this, by the way. And so that's what the film is all about. But over the course of the the story, myself and two other explorers are carrying this wooden barrel full of fermenting maguey 
to make a mezcal that has been received all the different airborne yeasts within Oaxaca. Mm. So we're kind of marching through Oaxaca carrying this ferment, and we'll be tasting that mezcal Saturday night to a uh, to a now sold out crowd at the Explorers oh, Club. Oh, so that's fantastic! That's the Explorers Club in New York City. In New York City, and the yeah. film is called the Mez- the Mezcalarians. The Mezcalarians. I um, love that. On our more serious work, like I said, we're doing really. I've got all eyes ahead with our organization, the History Arts and Science Action Network, and. My key principle with that is, is kind of in charge of international works is going to crisis areas and protecting vanishing culture traditions there. Oftentimes, places like Somalia, Iraq, Afghanistan. In the West, we only get one side of those places. We never get to hear good stories. Uh, we only see the worst of the worst. And it's, it's almost criminal because we're talking about some of the oldest civilizations on our planet that have been such an influence and are really still – culturally, in the best ways possible, have a foot in the ancient world. So things like frankincense and myrrh are still part of every day in, in the area of Puntland. And this is where 90% of the world's churches still get their frankincense and myrrh from. We never hear that story. We only hear about famine and, and war. We're going over there and working with local partners. We just finished a film called Learning from the Yibber. We filmed that in two expeditions in northern Somaliland, in, in Somaliland around Hargeisa and Babere, mm-hmm. and also in the south, Somalia proper in Mogadishu and Dolo, Somalia. The Yibber are an ethno-minority within clans of Somalia. And the Somali people are a very powerful clan system. But the folks know the Yibber, the Megdam, the Tomal, these are considered the untouchables. And they have such an incredibly rich history. They even have their own dialects. But, you know, they're never told. And so it was really important to us that we went there and teamed up with members of the Yibber clan, members of the Megdam, members of the Tomal, and made this documentary together. And that's really what we want to be doing is these individuals who don't even have a say in their own country, we want to give them a say on an international platform so they can tell their own narrative for the first time. And as an extension of that, our next project will be in Iraq. And that is a project called Hidden Cultures, Meeting the Ethno-Religious Minorities of Iraq. And we'll be doing that this spring. Two great human rights activists based in Iraq. His name is Mirza and our friend Saad Saloum. And we'll be meeting folks who are uh, from the Afro-Iraqi community, uh, folks who are the, of the Mandan, the Kakai, the Yazidi, hearing their histories, hearing their stories, seeing their culture, their music, their food, their literature – and really introducing that to the international stage so that these cultures can stay alive another 2,000 years as opposed to diminishing the next time there's a civil conflict. Justin, it's so fantastic that you give voice to these cultures that otherwise would not necessarily be noted, right? So how did you, just quickly in the couple of minutes sure. we have left, how did you get into this line of exploration? It was it's stuff that I've, I love, kind of smaller enclaves of, of, of humankind, smaller little groups. And we're like, wow, look at this group within your own country or your own city that no one even knows existed. And there's, but there's this, this whole microcosm, this whole beautiful world of untangible cultural traditions. Mm-hmm. And I wrote for National Geographic for a time. I worked for Vice and I'd pitch these stories. I'm like, we need to go to Iraq and tell this story. We need to go. And on the National Geographic side, unfortunately, it was considered too dangerous. It was considered uh, too much of an, you know, a problem. And on the Vice side, it just seemed like every time I pitched these stories, if there wasn't enough of a terrible thing happening, it's like you couldn't go there and tell the good story. And that's why we started Hassan because I've worked on both sides of that. I've worked with Vice. I've worked with National Geographic. And there's stories that fall beautifully in the middle that need to be told. There does not have to be a genocide going on for you to go someplace and tell a humanitarian story about, you know, of these cultural traditions that 
that are so rich and so beautiful and so powerful. And so ancient. And so right? ancient right. and still persevering. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's so if you want to hear more about Justin Furnell's work, you should definitely go to his website, www.justinfurnell. That's J-U-S-T-I-N-F-O-R-N-A-L.com. And you'll see many of his articles written for National Geographic, as well as his current and recent past expeditions. Justin, anything else that you'd like to leave us with before we well, just, wrap up? I'd love to hear from folks and anyone who wants to uh, support these upcoming projects. Best, easiest way to reach me and a fun way to reach me is on Instagram, which is just at Justin underscore F-O-R-N-A-L. We always have stuff going on, and that's also a great place to see where, what our next public event is. We're doing lots of outreach events here, like we are today, where people can come out, say hello, hang out, and, and have a good time. Love it. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today, Justin. It's really been great speaking with Thank you. Thank you. Pleasure was mine. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of On Water. We certainly love bringing the myriad and diverse group of characters from our water community to you to share their experiences. If you enjoyed what you heard, please like, share, and subscribe to this podcast. This podcast grows out of the publication of our quarterly print magazine, Session. Session celebrates the ways in which we all, as water lovers, engage in our world's aquatic playgrounds, from surfing to foiling, kiting, stand-up paddling, and more. We encourage you to visit our website at www.session-magazine.com. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening.